Well, today we celebrate the feast day of St. Cecilia. And St. Cecilia is one of these ancient uh, saints. She's a, a virgin martyr. And there's probably about, I would say, half a dozen of these uh, young women from the 2nd and the 3rd and the 4th century who have a similar kind of story. When they were very young, they dedicated uh, their virginity to Christ. And then as they got older, there was a very wealthy person who wanted to marry them, and they said no, and they got the wealthy person got angry, and one thing led to another, and there was a martyrdom that came out of it. Okay, so it's a kind of a pattern that repeats itself uh, time and time again. So there are some saints that we know a whole ton about because there are documentation that's contemporaneous with them, or maybe they wrote something or whatever it might be. And then there's other saints that we know about mostly from things that come not during their life, but from things that come after their death. And St. Cecilia is one of those. So it's more of traditions. And more important than that, though, the saints have the ability, special ability, to really make themselves known and to teach us about themselves after their death because of the miracles that they work. And so a lot of saints... You kind of wonder to yourself, I mean, it's almost like quasi-legendary material that comes down uh, to us about them. So why were, why is this such an important person? It's because the followers of the saint, immediately after their death, <coughs> started to develop a great devotion to them and found miracles as a result. And so these big, big followings, cults in the technical sense, grew up around the saints. So shrines built to them, churches built to them, and many miracles would be performed as a result of the people praying to the saint. So it is, as it were, the saint from heaven sort of continuing on uh, its, its her, his or her sort of lesson and informing us about them. So St. Cecilia has got a big, she had a very, very big following. Uh, by the end of the 4th century, um, you know, humongous uh, devotional um, cult had been uh, dedicated to her. And uh, that ability of the of the saint to speak to us after death is a very important element of our faith because we believe that death is not the end. That death is not the end. And uh, we take it for granted, really, I think, as Christians, because our Western civilization has been so Christianized culturally that we just kind of like say, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, you know, the soul's in heaven with God or whatever. But you have to understand uh, how much... Uh, that is really a novelty in world religion. Uh, the pagans really had no concept as to what happened after death. Okay, The famous story of when uh, the monks, uh, St. Augustine and other monks from uh, uh, the, the continent made it to England in the early, I would say, I was think it's the 6th century, they came to a, a king, and uh, this king was of this pagan tribe, an Anglo-Saxon tribe of some sort, and, um, you know, they came and they presented to him the gospel because they wanted to evangelize his people, so they would go to the leader of the people first. And he consulted his pagan priests, and the pagan priests, there's a famous story that comes down in uh, Bede's Ecclesiastical History of the English Church. He said, the pagan priest came up and he says, oh, you know, my Lord, uh, up until this point, until we've heard this message our understanding of religion has been like, and he likened it very interestingly to a sparrow that flies in the, you know, if you have to understand, it's like a, a, a cold, um, big castle in the middle of winter, 
and there's storm outside and there's a hearth in the middle of the of this castle room say okay and so the hearth is providing uh light and heat for everybody but everybody's inside this thing and no one wants to go outside because it's all dark and nasty and stormy okay and a bird flies in one door and goes real quick across you know the this this courtroom or the gathering space and then out the next door and so what's out there where it comes from and where it goes you don't know all you see it is illuminated and heated for just a very brief moment and this pagan priest says our life until we've heard this message of the gospel our life and our knowledge of religion was like that it was pure speculation we don't know where we're come from we don't know where we're going but the gospel has this power to illuminate the origin of the universe, the origin of human beings, and our final destiny in a way that no other religion uh, really can or has ever done. And so uh, we look today in our scripture readings and we see this uh, purification, uh, the cleansing, the re-sanctification uh, of the Old Testament temple of God. And we heard from Monday, if we can recall, I talked about you know all of this sort of eschatological material about the Antichrist and this uh, the um, uh, abomination of desolation uh, connected with the Antichrist and how it goes back to this story in Maccabees about how Antiochus Epiphanes came in and he desecrated the altar of God by uh, building an altar to Zeus upon it and then offering pigs upon it. Okay, And so what we didn't hear Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, because we weren't here, uh, is this continued reading about what happened in between that moment and then this final moment when the altar and this temple are rededicated. Well, the Maccabees, with the help of God, were very successful in overthrowing their enemies and, and, and pushing out the bad guys out of their holy land and out of their sacred space. And then they took the altar the abomination of desolation that had been built by the pagans, and they tore it down, and they actually tore down the original uh, altar to the true God that had been built as well because it had been desecrated. They didn't want to reuse it. So they tore it down, they pulled it apart, and they took the stones, and they put the stones somewhere uh, like hidden, like buried. And they said, we're going to wait for a prophet to come and tell us what to do with those stones, but for now we're going to rebuild an alt- a new altar and so that's what they do, and they reconsecrate it. And I'm sure we're familiar with the uh, the Jewish holiday of Hanukkah, right? I mean, everybody's familiar with Hanukkah. And uh, it starts on the 25th, 25th of Kislev, which is the Hebrew you know, months, and which doesn't exactly correspond to our months, but it goes for eight days, eight days. That's very interesting, that number eight, okay? Because that number eight has to do with the destiny of the universe, so in the Jewish thinking, they were thinking to themselves, okay, seven days is kind of the the uh, the special number because it was in seven days that God created the heavens and the earth, okay? And then on the seventh day, God rested. So this is the Sabbath day. So seventh day was, was very, very important. Um, but there is, and so also they would take these seven days and they would say, the universe is going to exist for a period, for seven periods, all right? So the whole whole history, salvation history, was broken down into like a salvation week, so to speak. But what about the eighth day? Why is the eighth day suddenly different now for Christians with the coming of Christ? What's about the eighth day? Christ rose from the dead on the eighth day. Okay, so Sunday now. All right. So now the eighth day becomes this space beyond the history of this world. It becomes eschatological. 
Okay, it becomes the destiny uh, towards which all of the universe is heading, and it becomes a symbol of the resurrection. It becomes a symbol of our resurrection as well, and uh, so we have this hope that just as the temple was. Uh, re-consecrated after all the bad guys were pushed out. So also the whole universe that God created to be a temple of his glory will be cleansed and purified eventually. And that's what salvation history is all about. We're in the process of that re-consecrating, of fighting the bad guys, okay, and pushing out the spirit, the anti-Christian spirit out of the world. And uh, with the power of Christ, we can do that. And when Christ returns, that whole process is going to be complete and he will reconsecrate the whole universe and make it a holy temple to God in the resurrection of the dead. And so our hope, just as you know, St. Cecilia uh, speaks to us from heaven and speaks to us of our hope, our final destiny, so also our scriptures today as well speak to us of our final destiny of a world that is a temple of God's glory that's been reconsecrated to his purpose, to the worship of God. It becomes a, not a place of sin anymore, but it becomes a place of the meeting of mankind and God. And uh, we will dwell in that holy temple, a renovated, uh, reconsecrated temple of the universe uh, for eternity in our resurrected bodies with our Lord Jesus Christ. This is our great hope, our eschatological hope, uh, and we pray that uh, we would we would we would you know attain to this final hope. Note too in our in our uh, Eucharistic prayer when we say Mass. So just listen to this verse when we say our, our Eucharistic prayer. We do the Sanctus together, the Holy, Holy, Holy. What do we say? Holy, 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 Lord God of hosts, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Heaven and earth are full of your glory. That's an eschatological vision. Okay, Right now, we do not see heaven and earth full of God's glory. That is uh, a vision that we will behold when the universe reaches its consummation. And uh, it's begun here on our altar. Okay, the saint re-sanctification of the universe and the filling of God's created temple with his glory begins here on the altar as our Lord Jesus Christ comes to us in his Eucharistic advent and sanctifies our hearts, sanctifies this space here, and then we move out forward ultimately uh, for the sanctification of the universe. So through the prayers of St. Cecilia, uh, may, may this be so for us.